Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast, exploring the human side of work. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I'm fascinated with how we can imagine past the default path to do things that matter. I have conversations with entrepreneurs, freelancers, and thinkers who are questioning the role of work in our lives who are thinking about how we can unlock creative potential in ourselves and organizations and are carving new paths in the world to create a more human future of work. If you want to support the podcast, check out the Patreon link in the show notes. And for more information, go to BoundlessPod.com. Today, I am talking again with Chris Donahoe, who I talked to about a year ago after he had just launched his firm uncommonly. I thought it would be interesting to check back in with him and see how the journey has gone, what kind of shifts he's gone through, and maybe touch on what people might expect when they are taking leaps like this in the first six months. So welcome back, Chris. Thank you for having me. So looking forward to this conversation, mostly because I've been doing this for about a year now and feeling a lot less nervous than I was in our conversation last year, but just wanted to check in and just say, are you today where you would have expected you were about a year ago? Oh, I don't know if I'm where I would have expected. It's been a really huge year. So we've been in business as a firm now for a little over a year. November 1st of 2018 marked one full year as a company and it was I mean it was a really big year it was huge I you know what I what I didn't uh, think was that I would be turning down work and consciously choosing not to grow yeah a lot of so when I was taking the leap the most consistent thing people told me was you need to learn how to say no to work however as soon as you start on your own you're in your uh, motivation is shit, I need to make money. And I almost feel like there's like a period at the beginning of it where you just need to prove to yourself you can actually earn money in new ways before you can even get to that point of saying no. Does that resonate with you? I don't know. I've been historically extremely money driven. So <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that whatever number I say I want to make, I can make it if I'm willing to just do whatever it takes to make that amount. Right. What I realized is that the opportunity cost associated with pursuing money is high. 
in terms of quality of life. Yeah. What are some of those trade-offs for you? The big one for me is time. I I started the year committed that I was only, I was going to start my company on a four day work week, Monday through Thursday. And I did that for a while until we started making some strategic, until a lot of opportunities started coming our way. Right. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, okay, well, let's take it. Let's see. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And then the money was really pouring in. So I was like, well, let's keep doing this until I just realized that it was super unsustainable. Like I became yeah. very, um, I, I didn't realize how hard I was working because I was so excited about starting my company like that. I was so energized by it that I didn't realize what a toll it was taking because in a lot of ways it didn't feel like work. It was just that when I finally would slow down, it was like a crash. I couldn't, I wouldn't get myself back together quickly. Yeah. So let's talk about that sustainability. I think one thing in people I talk to is it is so much different than full-time, right? It's not just about the next project. You're actually working on you evolving as a person and like your interests, your direction might tweak a little and if you're not at least paying attention to that and spending some time on it, you're just going to take the same type of project again, right? So then maybe that leads to that burnout and you're like, what the heck? I didn't just want another full-time job. Nobody wants to start a company so that they can replicate all of the shit that they've lived through previously. <laughs> Did you get a sense that that, that was happening? Yeah. At one point, it was like we had a proposal in for a piece of work. And I was like, if we get this work, I do not want to do this. I wanted to win the work. I didn't want to do the work. Like I love, I love getting the work. I don't like delivering on the work anymore. So yeah, I I realized that if we just took work that was available because it was there and people needed a vendor that they could use, we're working, we're doing business to business consulting. Then um, there was, yeah, there was a big, big cost. Yeah. And Maybe let's dive into some of the details. Like how were you working at first? Was it a per diem? Was it a project basis? Uh, was it fixed fee? How were you thinking about that? And how did how have you evolved on things like that? We still have not broken out of time where people are buying our time. Yeah. As a consulting firm. And I, I don't like that. And I want to shift that. And I've made efforts toward shifting it. And that's how we would do it in the beginning was day rate. We would go as a day rate. Oh, for a day, you can get us. We'll, we'll come in for the day. We'll come in for six weeks. Um, and here are the deliverables that we're also on the hook for. But essentially, everything came down to the day rate. And when people are buying your time... I mean, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. They bought your time. Your time is no longer yours. Your time is theirs. And then they're using you for your time. And that feeling isn't, I don't like that feeling. I've tried the deliverables thing, but as a small firm, sometimes, especially we're just talking to people at this point, we were going to grow, but we decided not to. So it's just two of us. Um, To get in the door, it's so much easier to go in. The day rate thing is really easy for a lot of large companies because they can bring you in as an independent contractor and they don't have to, you know, you don't even have to go through procurement to get hired essentially. Oh, fascinating. And would you say that um, you were still showing up to these clients? Were you working remotely? How was that working? A mix. I had a client where 
I've had, so the big clients, I've had probably like five big corporate clients this year and it's really just been a mix. And I've, I've done a, a variety of methods to get in the door. Sometimes I'll subcontract through other firms to get in the door with a big company. Sometimes I'll go direct to the company with, uh, as my company. Sometimes I'll go in under the guise as an independent contractor. It, it really has been a mix of how we've done it. And sometimes they want you on site, sometimes they don't. I have become increasingly, the biggest lesson for me as, a, as the founder of this company has been specify my terms and then don't compromise on them. Yeah. And what, what have been some of the terms you've landed on? Is it, is it time? Is it expectation of deliverables? Is it uh, different things like that? It took me November, December, and now into January. So like 2.25 months to iron out exactly what my terms are, which is that, I will give a client three days a week of my time and it needs to be like a really, really easy commute or else I'm not going in (laughs) remote. Yeah. And um, the other two days are for building my business and also coaching in my private coaching practice. So now I finally have everything happening Monday to Friday. I was working on Sundays as well, but now everything is Monday to Friday roughly like 7 a.m. On coaching days, I start at 7 a.m. On non-coaching days, I'm starting at 9 a.m., ending at 5 p.m. And I just have started saying no to a lot of things. I had a, work, I had a, I had a large company call me earlier this week. They wanted me to come in, come in for a few months. And I just point blank said no. And it's because right. I'm, I'm not at a point where I want to grow my... I don't want to bring on people yet. I'm at capacity. I, eventually, I do want to build out a business but I don't feel ready right now. I want to do it nine to five, essentially 40 hours a week, Monday to Friday. Yeah. And if it can, whatever can't happen in that time can't happen yet. That's awesome. And how are you spending your, uh, th- your two extra days a week now, uh, either the coaching and or just time you have for reflection and figuring out what's next? Yeah. So on the two extra days, I have a total of nine clients that I work with in a coaching capacity. And I meet with each of them for an hour a week. And so it's essentially like a five, four split four Monday, five Friday. And, um, then on top of that, I'm enrolled in a coaching certification program, which has a whole curriculum around it. And there's a lot of that inner work that you were talking about where you're building the awarenesses, you're kind of exercising the muscles as a leader to become the leader you actually want to be in the world. So that's where the rest of my time goes. And then every night around 6.30 or 7 p.m., I'm like just hanging out. That's pretty good. I, I know a lot of self-employed people really struggle with finding those constraints. I think one, because they find the work fun. And two, it's just hard to say no to stuff. So, uh, Congrats on that. And uh, extremely intentional. Like this did not happen. It's like, I have a, I also have a coach and I sit down with my coach and say, I want to work five days a week. How will I make it to work (laughs) five days a week? And two and a half months later, you're finally working five days a week. That's awesome. Snap your fingers. It it really, and I have to choose it over and over again. So what's the coaching program called and what have, uh, what have been some of the biggest reflections in starting that? I'm in accomplishment coaching, which is based out of San Diego. They have programs all over the country, New York, 
think Chicago, DC, and San Diego are the four that I know off the top of my head. Uh, it's structured where I'm in a cohort of 24 other people who are also training to become coaches. And it's ontological coaching, meaning it's being based. So we're taking a look at like, who are you being as a human? And what place are you coming from as you make decisions and show up in the world? And it has been one of the most emotionally, (laughs) metaphysically, spiritually demanding experiences that I've been through in a long time. And at the same time, my capacity to, as a leader is growing so much. So it's, it's a lot of, I hate the term deep inner work as like a corporate businessman, <laughs> like people say deep inner work. I'm like, what are you talking about? But I do actually think there's some merit to the term deep inner work. That's what it's been in service of the life and the business and the relationships that I want to build. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's just a challenge coming at it from the corporate angle of the language we had when we were in the corporate context something like deep inner work actually does sound slightly insane because it just, it literally doesn't translate to like the the way we're being in that environment right um see so i have the same thing too my gut is to like roll my eyes but that's it's more because of the other phrases people are using which are like definitely shallow yeah Corporate America sounds like we need to calibrate on the various norms that are received across the board. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, like we need to have some conversations. Let's use right. terms. Yeah. I, I, corporate America. I, it's funny because part of this ontological work, there's, there's these baseline assertions around there is nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. There's nothing to fix. There might just be things missing. And when I look at corporate America, part of what drove me out of consulting and starting my own company is that I looked around and I said, there's a lot wrong, there's a lot broken, and there's a lot to fix here. Yeah. And I, I, I would be lying if I told you that I, I truly understood what it meant that, oh, there's nothing wrong, broken, or to fix. I think that's probably true, but I don't know what I'm actually talking about yeah. when I But I am actively practicing relating to corporate America and organizations through that lens. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. There's nothing to fix. There might just be things missing. And when we start talking about what's missing, the human aspect, the spirit, humanity missing from corporations. And everyone's talking customer centricity. Everyone's talking people first. And then we have people development sessions that sound like we have five strategic levers, five behaviors that as an organization we're going to adopt this year. And it's like, what? Like, this is not how human behavior works. We don't write it down on a slide and then agree to adopt it. There are actual shifts that have to occur through self-awareness. People have to actually look in the mirror and see who they're being as a leader, as an employee, as a manager. But we don't do that well yet. So... Well, I think you're right in some sense. When I think, when I see the corporate world, I see something that actually, if you look at it at a fundamental level, it can't be broken, right? Because it's the system doing whatever it does. However, we get it gets really weird when we're talking about well, the organization's purpose is to create meaningful work for people. That's just missing the point, right? And it also just 
everyone's like, wait, this isn't meaningful. And then every, then, then you're just doing initiative after initiative to like clean up the mess. So it's like, it's almost, we need more honesty to say like, well, actually this is just a place to give people employment and make as much money from this specific market as possible. Right. And money. And also I know you and I have had conversations about money. I, I love this idea the honesty of saying we're a business and we're in business to provide a product that people like and to make money doing it. Why? Because yeah. it feels like we make money and we want to have money because we like it. <laughs> and that honestly, that honesty could go a long way. And um, I also think too, I'm playing around a lot with the idea of what can I own? What piece of the corporate meltdown can I actually own? <laughs> and I like that. I, I I think it's coming back to me in the form of this is, this is my, um, my deep inner work talking here, but if we make the assumption that energy exists and that humans are generating energy on some level, I'm putting energy into the world. Right. And if we then make another assumption that that energy is either coming from fear or it's coming from love, most of my career, if not all of, I would say 90% of the decisions and actions that I took in corporate America, especially to be effective, came from fear. Right. And if my actions are coming from fear, then I'm actually contributing and reinforcing the same paradigm that I don't like. Right. And so my instinct when I was full-time employed by someone else was to sit back and say, oh my gosh, look at how broken this organization is. Don't people see that if we just change these five things that we would have transformation and that people would be happy and they wouldn't be leaving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, I wasn't aware of the piece, how I was actually contributing to the same problem within the organization by energetically coming from fear, withholding information, playing the game, choosing my words so carefully so that I could get to the next level so that I could please everybody. All of those behaviors are reinforcing. And in that sense, I own the meltdown too. The crisis right. of corporate America, I, I am generating and reinforcing it with my own behavior. Yeah. And that totally resonates with me as well. I think over the past couple of years, I've really had to just look at myself and be like, I'm not actually upset with the corporate world. It's I was kind of disappointed in myself, right? And it's kind of embarrassing to admit that. And deep down, like you still, you have that voice of saying like, well, maybe you just couldn't cut it, right? And um, I'm trying to shift that to a much more positive direction now, but I, I still catch that. And uh, it, I mean, it definitely resonates. Well, corporate America, it has a tendency to reward hostile victims so people who feel really victimized but who are also kind of aggressive will like yeah. really do well in a corporate hierarchy because right. that's <laughs> so, where you, that's why you can muster up some motivation right yeah yeah you know who actually does a really good job of this though i never would thought i would have said this but i'm really impressed with old companies so yeah. insurance companies um you know like uh without naming names, but there are a few very old insurance companies. Like and Aetna I, or something. They've been around forever. Yeah. I mean, some of these are like 170 years old. And I, I also work for a luxury brand. It's one of my clients. And they've been around for, um, I think, like 100 years, something, a long time. And 
there's something about this slow and steady, non-reactive mindset. Like my, my fiance works at an insurance company and I used to really make fun of it because I would be like, he, he's not really coming from fear and a lot of the people around him are not coming from fear, but the job itself for me just seems incredibly boring and stale, but they all just kind of like show up and have conversations about it and make slow decisions. And um, there's not a lot of hyperbole around what, what they're doing and what the big vision is. They're just there to make sure that they can pay out promises of money to people a hundred years from now. And that's what they do. Yeah. And it's also something people fundamentally want, right? I think this is where things get slightly disconnected is perhaps I'm, I think some of the consulting is the world wasn't asking for some of the stuff I was doing in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, but yeah, th- there is something to that. I think just the slow and steadiness to it. Um, and just some of the predictability. I th- I think people are just, I mean, we could go off on a big tangent here, um, just lose themselves with the nonstop information, right? Um, I'm sure you got caught up in this. And um, I think this is something that's been dramatically simplified as a freelancer because I'm not iterating and planning and trying to impress my project leader uh, is that you can do endless analysis. It's so crazy how much analysis you can do. Whereas now I'm preparing stuff and just going, oh, I'm done. I just need to send it to the client and see what their reaction is. Yeah. Um, and that's like a comparison of, I don't even know, like 50 hours of work versus like three or four, which has been a uh, profound shift for me. I would like to make that shift. I, I, I think still with my consulting work, um, I'm still in the same paradigm. I, I think... I'm in the let's go over and over and over again with the same deck um, until it's perfectly acceptable to everyone who it needs to be perfectly acceptable to. But that so, that's fine with the client, right? I'm talking about that inner team work that's like happening behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, doing the mock pitch to your project leader internally. Um, and you kind of avoid those cycles, but... Love to shift back to the uh, like your reflections on the past year. So you started with a co-founder as well, which yes. I thought was pretty cool. I think a lot of people just go solo, right? How has that been? I'm sure there's been uh, just a lot of advantages from having a partner to bounce ideas off and talk through with this and even just keep you motivated on a basic level. Yeah, my co-founder is an amazing human and we both did uh we're doing this coaching program together so we're using the coaching program as the incubator to grow our business so we made a collective decision back in maybe like may or june of 2018 that we would shift our work away from business transformation stuff and toward people development and leadership development and that's when we said okay well if we're going to do that we got to start turning down work which we did and we need to also grow our own skills and build some uh, build some additional credibility and experience in this domain. So we've enrolled in the coaching program and we've been going through it together. So we are growing our business first by growing our own capacities to lead individually and collectively together via this program. 
And so that's been our primary focus this year has been the deep inner work and talking yeah. about it with each other and building a company from that place. So the types of conversations that she and I are having are very different from what I would have been expected a co-founder to have. Right. So much more personal. Yeah, it's way more personal. We're not sitting down going, we're not looking at the pipeline and looking at like, we're not like making a list of all of our opportunities and then prioritizing them and then choosing which ones and then like divvying out the work. We're having conversations like, um, who are you being about this work that we're pursuing? And what will this get us? And what will that get us? And if we get that, what will that get us? And getting to really the, the heart of what actually matters to us. Because again, we don't want to replicate the same nasty stuff that we've seen out there in the world. We want this to be something we believe in. So that fundamental question of what's it all for? What's it all for? Yeah. Have there been any exercises you've done either with her group or even on your own through this program or otherwise that have really shifted your perspective on things? We do so many things. <laughs> <laughs> like, like one a week. Or maybe the better question is, what have you taken from that that you're instantly using with your coaching clients? The biggest distinction uh, that... I, that we're we're taking to our clients there we have in coaching in the world of ontological coaching um and specifically accomplishment coaching the the program we're in they make a distinction between being at cause versus being at effect being at cause is you are happening to the world you are taking responsibility for everything you're owning every single piece that there is to own of everything yeah so this company is broken. Well, actually, how am I contributing to how broken it is? That kind of, that mindset and owning as much as you possibly can versus being at effect, which is like the victim side, the, this is happening to me, blaming, oh, right. well, if they blah, 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 like um, the at cause at effect is critical to how we're building the business because it's the foundation for setting parameters around when we'll work, how hard we'll work what clients we're not at the effect of what everyone else says we should do or need to do or what clients are asking for or demanding we're at cause choosing in advance actively what we want to do because it's because we know what our commitments are so that distinguish between when is a person when is an organization when am i myself at cause versus at effect has been huge for my life, our business, how we're growing this thing. And how are you thinking about what's next? So maybe we'll check in a year from now. <laughs> Where do you think things will look then? Well, I am, as in the world of coaching, the big question is what's next? What's possible? It is inherently a future-based conversation. So I think about this constantly. And what's next for me is I am the future of leadership. And as the future of leadership, I want to build a company that creates great leaders and empowers great leaders. And that's all in service of what I think my life purpose is, which is peace. And if I'm building a company that creates great leaders in service of peace, then that could be my life's work and something that I'm really 
energized by something that's worth that's a game worth playing so what does that mean practically i think if i'm choosing from that place um it looks like we finish out the coaching program through august we still don't really i have no and no vision to like take on staff before then taking on additional team members I do think that we will likely take the the things that we've learned and from both corporate clients and our individuals, we want to create a mass market offering. So something that kind of gets to the heart of what does it look like to be and show up as a great leader in your life and, in, and at work. Market something that has passive income so that we're not selling our time all the time and um, grow the business in a way, continue growing the business in a way where we're not killing ourselves and that we're doing a 40-hour work week. I think that's what the next year looks like. Wow. Yeah, I think just reflecting, comparing like your view on this a year ago and now where you're at, like it's so clear where you're headed. And I think all the pieces were there, like the energy, the intention was there a year ago, but you're you can feel the the like confidence and energy about that path going forward maybe one question to close on is and it sounds like i think my takeaway from all that is the journey over the past year has enabled you to arrive at this um like stepping into that uncertainty going on your own taking the ownership for that if you were talking to somebody that was thinking about taking a leap like, what would you tell them about uh, what they might experience in that first year? I would tell anybody, you can throw away everyone's advice and just do whatever you want. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's whatever you want. That's great. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's great too. I think one of my messages when I talk to people is don't listen to me. That's crazy, right? It's more about going, doing that deep work to quote you and, uh, Figuring out like what's driving you, what's what's down there, what's uh, what's really behind that pain or that uh, that drive, and uh, just tapping into that. Yeah, I mean the deep. Yeah, like listen to listen to what you already know. You already have the answer inside you. What do you yeah. want to do in your company? Name it that. Don't go asking Samantha what her opinion is. I love it. Well, thank you so much for giving us this reflection. I think this will be incredibly helpful just for people as they're thinking about, I can, we can show them the before and after, but, uh, I love it. And, uh, I obviously a big fan of, uh, your mission and purpose and just keep up the good work. It's, uh, much needed. And I, uh, will definitely be interested in where you're headed. Thank you. Thanks so much for giving me a space to talk about this stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Podcast. If you have feedback, guest suggestions, or ideas I should explore, I'd really love to hear from you. One of the best things about this journey I've been on is connecting with all the people from around the world who are resonating with some of the ideas, some crazy, some better, some worse, uh, that I'm putting out into the world. Uh, You can email me at paul at think-boundless.com or find me on the various socials, which I link in my site. So I'm focused on keeping this podcast ad-free, 
uh, clear requests for ratings on various platforms. Basically, just want to keep it useful, interesting, and worth listening to. Uh, you guys hear enough about different underwear and sleep mattresses that people are pushing. I mean, how many mattresses can uh, people sell? It's unbelievable. Um, anyway, if you do want to support this podcast and uh, support this crazy journey I'm on, uh, you can do that on Patreon through the show notes link. And this is just so much fun. And I really thank you for listening and the continued feedback and support. Hey, all. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold it's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership. And you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.